Hello, and welcome to part two. After Linda's encounter with Ward Weaver III at her home, she decided on June 25th, 2002, to go to the FBI Command Center. She had a meeting scheduled with Agent Morgan to discuss the findings from her investigation and to let the agent know that he and the task force should look into Ward Weaver III. When Linda arrived at the office, she was forced to wait for a long time. When she was finally able to meet with Agent Morgan, Linda could sense that he was insulted that she was even there. Sensing this, she started off by asking one simple question. She asked the agent if he had ever heard of Ward Weaver III. The agent folded his arms and looked at Linda and stated that he would be shocked if Weaver had anything to do with the disappearances of both girls. Before she could get another word out, the agent took the phone call and told Linda that her services were not needed. They had 100 highly trained professionals to take care of the matter, and Linda was escorted out of the office. After her lack of support from the FBI, Linda decided to take another approach to the case. She contacted a friend who was a journalist and explained all the information she had on Ward Weaver. The journalist agreed to go to Weaver's house, interview him, and run a story. As the journalist was there interviewing Ward Weaver, Ward told the journalist that he was the FBI's number one suspect. However, he was not even on the FBI's radar. Ward was so happy and pleased with the interview that he eventually contacted more news stations to interview him about Ashley and Miranda. During one interview that was televised, Ward walked a journalist across the cement slab that he had poured for his hot tub. He did this to prove he had nothing to hide, and many individuals suspected him of burying the girls underneath it. On August 11, 2002, Linda found out that Ward gave notice at his job and planned to move to Mexico. After finding this information out, Linda immediately drove to the Weaver residence to confirm it. As she pulled up, she saw Ward was packing up his belongings. She thought that the police had a surveillance team on him. However, much to her surprise, there was no undercover police agents or FBI around. As she pulled up to the house even further, she saw more moving boxes and two young boys carrying a small, white freezer chest. They loaded it in the back of Ward's truck. As stated in the book, The Missing Girls, Ward backed his truck out and saw Linda in her car. Ward made eye contact with Linda. He looked straight at her and smiled, and while driving off, gave her the middle finger. Just two days later, on August 13th, 2002, Ward asked his son's girlfriend, Emily, to drive him to the DMV in Gladstone. But before doing so, he asked if they could go by his house for some paperwork. Emily agreed and drove Ward to his house on Beaver Creek Road. When they got there, they both went inside. Moments later, Ward raped and assaulted Emily. Emily managed to escape and ran out of the front door of the Weaver home and into the road. She flagged down a passing vehicle 
and they took her to the nearest payphone. Emily called 911 and explained to the 911 operator what had just happened to her. Soon after the call being placed, Ward Weaver III was quickly apprehended and arrested on Interstate 205 South near the Strawberry Lane overpass. He was booked into the Oregon City Jail on rape charges. The police went to the Weaver residence to gather evidence regarding the rape. However, much to everyone's surprise, the FBI quickly took down the caution tape that surrounded the Weaver house, and they left. They did not search the entire property, nor did they search in the shed or suspect Weaver in the cases of Ashley and Miranda. When the task force left the Weaver residence, this allowed other individuals from the community and the press to walk freely throughout the entire property, damaging and destroying any evidence that could have pertained to the abduction and disappearances of Ashley and Miranda. On August 18th, just five days after Ward's arrest, people continued to swarm the Weaver residence and property. They continued to go through the yard house, and the surrounding property line. TV crews filmed on the lawn, in the backyard, and on the porch. The FBI finally were forced to contact the owner of the property and asked him to put up a no trespassing sign. Later that evening, the owner of the property and his assistant agreed to go to the property and post the no trespassing signs. As the assistant and owner walked through the yard, they could smell something foul and noticed that it was coming from the shed. When his assistant got closer, he became further overwhelmed by the smell and called over to the owner. The owner came over to investigate the smell with his assistant. When they both opened the door to the shed, they saw two flypapers hanging from the ceiling that were two feet long each with thousands of fly carcasses stuck to it. In addition to this, they saw scented cardboard trees dangling in the shed like tree ornaments. Five days later, on August 23, 2002, the FBI announced they would be executing a search warrant for the resident that Mr. Weaver was renting for the following morning on August 24th at 9 a.m. It had already been 10 days since Weaver's arrest for the rape of Emily and five days since the owner of the property discovered the smell. In total, it took 11 days for the FBI and the police to search the residence. Sadly, on August 24, 2002, it was announced that human remains were found in the shed on the property of the Weaver residence. The following day, it was announced that another human set of remains were found buried under the cement slab in the back of the house. The medical examiner confirmed that the human remains found in the shed were the remains of Miranda Gaddis. The medical examiner concluded that the remains had been placed in the shed on or about July 24th, a month before being found. The body was bound with nylon cord and then covered with several layers of plastic. The plastic was secured in several different places with 12 to 20 inch pieces of tape. The remains were bound into a ball formation and stuffed into a microwave oven cardboard box. Miranda was unclothed except for her socks. 
she was identified by dental records because of the decomposition state that her body was in. Her cause of death could not be determined. The medical examiner confirmed that the remains found under the cement were the remains of Ashley Pond. Ashley's body showed signs of having been stored in a cold environment or a freezer-like place prior to her burial. She was fully clothed and bound with cord and pushed into a three-foot steel barrel. It was sealed and wedged along two other barrels in a straight line and put into the hole into the ground with cement poured over the top in a three-foot by 12-foot area. Ashley was found to have an elevated blood alcohol level that was equal to taking five or six straight shots. Her body had no evidence of bug activity, which in turn correlated to her being mummified after her death. The cause of Ashley's death could not be determined. After Ward was arrested, his daughter Mallory was sent to live with her aunt. Because of this, the detectives were able to obtain a search warrant for her home. In addition, the shed that Ward had rented prior to his plans to move to Mexico. The police found the freezer chest, a microwave oven, rope, tape, a finishing trowel, clothing belonging to Miranda, white sketchers belonging to Ashley, school books of both the girls, notebooks belonging to both the girls, and multiple videotapes. On October 3rd, 2002, Ward Weaver III was indicted for the murders of Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis. He was charged with 17 counts that included aggravated murder, abuse of a court, sexual abuse of minors, attempted aggravated murder, and first-degree rape. As Ward Weaver III sat in jail awaiting his trial, he contacted multiple news stations and journalists to sell his interview. He stated that to the highest bidder, he would offer exclusive access to his trial. The trial for the murders of Ashley and Miranda was set for September 16, 2003. Ward continued to try and contact the media to get his side of the story out and proclaimed his innocence. As news reporters did come to interview Ward, during one such interview, Ward stated the detectives were going to have to buy him a new freezer chest because the chemicals used to test for blood in it would ruin the freezer. The reporter was shocked and asked again about the blood. Ward realized that he had made a mistake. He quickly stated that it was blood from meat he had in the freezer. By March of 2003, Ward proved to be a difficult client for his attorney, and the attorney asked to be dismissed from defending him. At that time, the attorney had billed over $141,000 for representing Ward Weaver III for only seven months. The judge granted the attorney's motion to be dismissed from the case, and Ward was appointed a new attorney. Because of this, the trial had to be set over to June of 2004. While awaiting his new trial date, Ward continued to do interviews from his jail cell against his attorney's advice. After his last interview was aired on TV, the judge placed a gag order on him and he was not allowed to talk about the case with the media 
or any other individual besides his attorney. Even the new attorney that was appointed to Ward Weaver III was having difficulty with his client, so much to the point that he also motioned the court to have himself dismissed from representing Ward Weaver. However, the judge denied this request because he did not want to go through another counsel change. While in jail, Ward was allowed to have visitations with his daughter Mallory. However, when the judge found out that he had showed autopsy photos of both Ashley and Miranda to his daughter, his visitations were terminated. This prompted Ward to attempt suicide. After his suicide attempt, Ward was sent to the Oregon State Hospital for observation to see if he was fit to stand trial. This again forced the trial to be at a later date. On August 25th, 2004, the judge had a hearing to rule on Ward's mental competency to stand trial. He wasted no time stating that he was fit to stand trial and that he was in fact lucid and his mental state was normal. The judge set the new trial date for January 2005. However, the families of Ashley and Miranda would not have to wait that long. In September 2004, the families of Ashley and Miranda agreed to allow Ward Weaver III to take a plea deal. Ward Weaver III entered pleas of guilty and no contest in exchange to have the death penalty taken off the table. Ward pled guilty to two charges of aggravated murder for Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis and entered pleas of no contest to the ten remaining counts. During the hearing of his plea deal, the families of the victims were allowed to read victim impact statements. Ashley's eldest sister said the following, quote, Some days I wake up and believe that I will see her face again, but truly I can't remember her face at all. I see her death run through my mind like a bad movie over and over again. Mr. Weaver, I hope that you are satisfied that you created this horrible memory for me to live with for the rest of my life. Miranda's mother, Michelle, also read a victim statement. Hers is as follows, end quote. First and foremost is the question, why? Why did you kill my daughter, Miranda? Why did you kill Ashley? What did they do, Ward? That was so bad, you felt the need to take these young, innocent lives. I would never have thought in a million years, Ward, you could do something so evil, demented, and unthinkable. March 2008-2002 started like any other ordinary morning. I was getting ready for work. My four children were eating breakfast and preparing for school. As I left out the door that morning, I remembered kissing my kids, telling them have a good day and we exchanged I love yous. Little did I know, it would be the last words I exchanged with Miranda. I had terrible visions and nightmares of the danger she was probably in. I can hear her voice yelling for me, Mom, Mom, please help me. I can hear her crying when I close my eyes. I ask you today, Ward, did she suffer? What were her last words? When Miranda's lifeless and decomposed body was found in a cardboard box in your shed, my heart broke. 
Again, I ask why. Why did you kill her? Why did you kill Ashley? And then dispose of her body as if it was a piece of trash. Miranda was not trash. Being a survivor of sexual abuse herself, she vowed to always help those who could not help themselves or those individuals that seemed lonely. I believe that is why she befriended Mallory. Mallory was lonely, always being picked on by other kids, but Miranda defended her. She talked to her often. They shared their secrets. They were friends. End quote. After the moving victim impact statements by the family members, the presiding judge, Robert Herdnum, said this, quote, When I listen and look at the magnitude of what you've done here, you know, I really just see nothing but evil, Mr. Weaver. I think that everyone probably shares in the hope that there is a special place in hell for people like you, end quote. Weaver was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. He is still currently incarcerated at the Snake River Correctional Institute in Eastern Oregon. In 2007, while serving his sentence, Ward was receiving a haircut from the prison barber. While doing so, he was stabbed in the neck and the shoulder multiple times with a homemade shank. Ward survived and is still residing in the prison to this day. After the bodies of Ashley and Miranda were found, the Oregonian published an article detailing the abuse that was reported to CPS regarding Ashley Pond. On August 31st, 2001, a report about Ashley and Ward came into the Multnomah County Child Abuse Hotline. The tip came from someone at the Clackamas County DA's office. However, the report needed to be sent to the Clackamas County Sheriff's Office, but they had claimed they had never received it. This mistake prompted Oregon's governor at the time to review the handling of Ashley's case and to help determine how cases like this should be handled in the future. On September 13, 2002, the findings of the CPS report were published by the director of the Oregon Department of Human Services. It was confirmed that egregious mistakes were made that contributed to Ashley's ultimate demise. In short, the system failed her. The report that was made about Weaver was not submitted until 11 days after the call initially came in. However, reports of abuse were supposed to be submitted within five days. In addition to this, there was never a follow-up regarding the abuse allegations, and the report was never signed off by a supervisor, at least not until a week after Ashley went missing. Governor John Kitzhopper at the time stated this, quote, It is clear from this review that mistakes were made and that the system established by the department to meet its responsibility to abuse children failed Ashley Pond. On January 9, 2004, two years after Ashley's disappearance, Ashley's mother, Lori, filed a $9.75 million wrongful lawsuit in the federal court against the state for their negligence. However, a judge ruled that state agencies are immune from wrongful death claims in a federal court. The Weaver residence on Beaver Creek Road no longer stands. 
Shortly after the case was over, the community and the owner of the land agreed to demolish it. The company, Pacific Land Clearing, donated their services and demolished the house. Recently, the property was sold to a retired businessman who is planning to make the location on Beaver Creek Road a memorial in remembrance of Ashley and Miranda. According to an article posted in the Oregonian in March of 2020, there have been talks to put a community garden or a housing for young adults transitioning out of foster care. As of late, no announcements have been made.